welcome to the Drums Leadership Lessons podcast. I'm Stephen Leptak, editor of The Drum, and this episode I am delighted to be joined by Sil Sala, Chief Marketing Officer for Diageo and a recent recipient of the honour of Commander from the Queen at the beginning of the year. Uh, congratulations, first of all, Sil. Oh, thank you, Stephen. It was a big surprise. How, how do you find these things out? How do they inform you of such an honour? Well, it was <laughs> it was actually quite amusing. I was working from home that day in in mid November, and my husband um, thought we had received yet another tax bill because it says you know <laughs> Her Majesty, and that's usually you know HMRC, and 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 so. My husband is an engineer and an IT guy who doesn't make a lot of fanfare about things. So rather than giving me this envelope, you know, with with ceremony, he comes into my office, you know, kind of kneels down next to me and says, you got a CVE? And I thought, like, it was so unexpected. I did not understand the words that he was saying. Mm. Um, And then you have to keep it secret for, uh, you know, until the announcement is made. And that's about six weeks. It's the hardest secret I've ever kept, but I kept it. Um, And it led to unbelievable joy when, um, on the night the announcement uh, was made, uh, I was able to tell my family, and we had all kinds of fun and games with that, which I won't bore you with because I made them (laughs) guess. Um, and, And I told them, you know, they had come to dinner, I have a surprise. And then they decided that the surprise was a puppy. Now, my kids are 26 and 31. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like, and I'm allergic to dogs, right? Ooh. So it was, but they really got into this whole idea. And then I thought, my God, they're going to be really disappointed that it's not a puppy. <laughs> so, um, but we had fun that night and it was lovely to celebrate with them. I hope they went out and got a puppy afterwards then. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's going to be an ongoing discussion. You know, they, they keep sending me pictures of hypoallergenic dogs. Yeah, it's a much bigger conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I guess I've interviewed a lord for this podcast, and I have a commander of the British Empire. So let, let me ask you about leadership then, and what does the word leadership sure. mean to you? You know, I've listened to a number of these podcasts, because this is my favorite topic. And I I thought they were great on offering different perspectives. Like Wendy Clark talked about bringing hope and inspiration, and Michelle from IBM talked about grit and grace. And there were some really well-made points that I uh, agree with. Um, So I wanted to offer something a little bit different. Uh, You know, my personal take on leadership is about making the biggest possible difference to people's lives. And that's whether it's our employees, our agencies, uh, the people in our communities, or the people have, who have invested in our, in our company. You know, it's their money that, that matters to them, of course. So it's, um, it's something we care a lot about in Diageo. Um, it's what you might call responsible leadership. And I'd love to talk about that for a couple of minutes, if that's okay. Please. Um, so what we have that I think is a bit unique is is legacy of founders like Arthur Guinness. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really, that, that becomes like a role model you have to live up to. And that is not easy. 
Um, but when you understand what Arthur and his family did, you understand why the brand has endured for 260 years. Because he had complete dedication to the brand, employees, and the community. And that really set the standard for how we how we lead today. Um, you, you know, we, we talk about that in kind of in modern times, and many companies do, as purpose, right? And, and our purpose is to celebrate life every day, everywhere. And believe it or not, by this, we don't mean just raising a glass. It, it's really a, an expression of our commitment to adding value to people and communities everywhere we operate. And it's not, I have to emphasize, it is not a slogan on the wall. It's something we work really hard on. Mm-hmm. And it's something that everybody needs to, to lead against. Um, because I think we get into a little bit of trouble, and and Chris Hurst made this point, um, when people think that leadership is just the people at the top. And I agree with him on the point that leadership happens everywhere in the business. Everybody can be a leader. And so everything that we've achieved, you know, to make this, this purpose come to life and to achieve our financial objectives is the result of people across the business at every level working really hard. So it took... It took an army of people to make things like gender equality, and they do that as part of their day job. We don't have, like, a giant diversity and inclusion department. Um, when, we're, when we're named, you know, number one in gender equality by Equilibre, everybody's proud. And then if you think about um, our objective and what we call grain-to-glass sustainability, you know, that's no one function. That's everybody in, in finance, marketing, supply, all working together over the last decade to cut our water, our water and carbon footprint by 40%. And, and you know, sustainability is on a big topic, but, but the way you make it real is, is with investment. So, again, it took real leadership from all levels of the business to secure a 180 million pound investment in in Africa, um, to ensure that our breweries are as efficient as they can be. So when all of that capital comes online, it's going to mean that a pint of Guinness in Nigeria will be made with 60% less water. So so I guess the point I want to make is, you know, you can make, for me, I'm driven by my desire to make a difference to people and, you know, to their lives at all kinds of levels. And and I think our purpose expresses that. It means different things to different people, but it matters and it counts, whether it's just senior leadership trying to make that difference. But the power that you get when 28,000 people are trying to make a difference is enormous. Yeah, one of the questions I always ask is about how leaders make a difference when it comes to diversity and equality. And one of the things that we've spoken to you a couple of about uh, a couple of times in the last sure. year is your demand for partners uh, to to really satisfy that uh, they are helping you achieve that, and by uh, sharing their pay gap statistics and their diversity statistics. How how has that really made a difference so far? What has the reaction been to that demand? Well, that. Very interesting. We're just getting in um, the results of our resurvey of of our agencies in terms of how they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, qualitatively and talking to them, I can see that they have really taken it seriously. I mean, some were well on the path, um, 
anyway, and we're not going to be all the, all the way to bright everywhere, but I was really pleased with the seriousness that people took it. And, and I think what mattered there is, is that our approach to that was how can we be helpful? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so when we heard, for example, that, that people were struggling with losing people from the departments when they go on some extended career break or maternity leave or paternity leave, um, you know, getting those people back, in particular those women back, very difficult. So partnering with, with Creative Equals, you know, on their comeback scheme, their returner scheme, was a huge success. I mean, one that, that I'm really proud of. And, you know, we had 58 people participate, 41 returned to some sort of work. There have been 15 permanent hires. And with results like that, it was an easy decision to say, okay, where do we expand that? And we're expanding it with Creative Equals carefully because you don't just wish this program into a market. You have to have the infrastructure behind it. So this year we're moving to the U.S. and India, and then we have other markets just, you know, chomping at the bit to come on. So that's been really important. And and from your um, and and taking that stand, I thought really showed leadership in terms of a topic that needed people to stand up and actually take action. So, um, from a leadership perspective, what what was it that drove you to do that? Oh gee, <laughs> um, wow! There are so I mean, there are Diageo reasons and uh, personal reasons. Personal so reasons. from a Diageo. Okay. Uh, no, no, let me talk my Diageo perspective sure. first because I think that's really important. Um, you know, as you can see, diversity and inclusion are right in the heart of everything we do. And when we announced our, um, our a really progressive family leave policy, I mean, that was a big move, right, to in, in most of our markets say we are going to have a year's um, family leave, regardless of birth circumstances for men and women, um, and with six months of that paid, that that really is incredible. And doing some sort of progressive leave across so many markets is important. And why is that important? We fundamentally believe diversity impacts our business results, and we fundamentally believe it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then personally, my own involvement in gender issues probably come because I'm not a real joiner. Um, I, uh, when I became a member of Wackle, I didn't realize that, that, you know, when you go to the meeting where they say who the new members are, you have to stand up and say something. And I <laughs> hadn't planned anything to say. And I just said, uh, okay, I don't like join. I don't like to join clubs, but the only three things I've ever joined were, I was vice president of the Women's Student Association at the Harvard Business School. I joined the Boston Club, which is, you know, women in Boston when I was living there, and now Wackles. Does that give you a feel of what's important to me? Mm. And, um, and, and now, you know, uh, the Women's Rights Protection is, of course, very important. All kinds of role models. But it comes from my... Um, my mom was second-generation Greek immigrant, and she grew up in the time, call it, you know, 20s and early 30s, where the only acceptable, um, you know, her, she and her sisters did basically the only acceptable professions for women. So she was a nurse. 
um, her sister, uh, uh, you know, her sister Sylvia was a teacher and her sister Mary was a librarian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these were tremendously talented women. I mean, my, my Aunt Mary actually rose to not just be a librarian. She was the director of the Pentagon Library, you know, commanding wow. generals around. Mm-hmm. Um, so these women found their own path, you know, but they were definitely confined. And I just think the world is a better place if nobody's confined. Mm-hmm. And, and when I talk about gender equality, I really do mean um, not better. I mean equal. And, and I feel passionately about, you know, bringing men into the conversation and having them achieve everything they can. Mm-hmm. So it does go back to how I feel about leadership, helping people achieve their potential. And I have chosen to focus a lot of my personal effort on gender to level the, play, to level the playing field. Well, I mean, that makes me curious as to who are the, the leaders uh, from your career or maybe from history that, that you've looked up to and learned from. Oh, so uh, many, and I promise I won't take this entire time to just name them all. Um, I'm going to do something brave that in a, sometimes in a British context would be considered really cheesy um, in the ultimate sucking up. But I think anybody who knows me knows that I just never do this. And I'm going to start with, you know, I'm going to talk about the people at the top of my list. There are so many, but I'm going to start with my boss, and that's Ivan Menezes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, on the gender point that I just made, he has led that, you know, quietly and powerfully. In general, he leads in a hugely humble way with tremendous vision. And he's always not only thinking about what we have to deliver today, but what kind of company we're going to be in five or ten years. And I see him consistently meeting challenges with optimism and ambition, and he sees opportunity everywhere. And I find that hugely inspiring and have loved working with him for the last, you know, seven years very closely and, and, and over the last 20 years. I mean, he was actually the CMO that, that hired me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have to add to my top list pretty much, and I do really mean this, all the wacko presidents. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the women who have held these roles are truly amazing for what they do professionally and who they are personally. And you look at people like Carrie Glazer, who with her exec at WACL developed a new mission for the club around gender equality. Helen Colcraft is, is an amazingly brave leader. She was on the board of AMV BBDO at 28. And she not only started one incredibly successful agency, she's she started two since then. And, you know, Dame Silas Snowball, everyone who knows Silas is awestruck by what she's yeah. achieved, but even more blown away by her humility. So so I could go on and name every single one of them, but um we'd be here all day. <laughs> and and then I think about well, let's go outside the business world, right? Because that's an important source of inspiration. And 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 there, I'd have to say Kate Moss and uh, my friend, um, the author, and the incredible founder of the Women's Prize for Fiction. I mean, Kate saw a problem um, that women weren't appearing on any book prize, you know, in, in the number which they were actually writing books, anywhere close 
to the number of book prize shortlists. And she created the Women's Prize for Fiction to ensure that women's voices were heard in the, in the uh, writing field. And she is pioneering, brave, and visionary. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the one aspect that you admire of them all then? What, what makes them great leaders to you? Is there something that runs through them all that you just think, yeah, that's something I want to emulate myself? Yeah, I think it would be their audacity, you know, and, and you know, they're audacious and they do it in the right way. And what I've learned is to go after things that you don't know how you're going to deliver, but you have faith that you'll find a way. So in my nature, I'm a deliverer, right? So, so an example of, I mean, people can count on me for that, but it's got a flip side. It's got a, a side that says, ooh, maybe you'll be a bit conservative in what you try to do. So, so one of the big challenges I was given in my career, um, and this was at Diageo, was to create an entirely new innovation function for the company that would deliver a billion of net new revenue in five years and then do that sustainably. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to tell you, yeah, I grabbed that goal with, you know, two hands and went for it. But the truth was, my first thought was, oh, I probably won't be in that role in five years. So it's okay if I say, you know, okay, I'll do it. Um, But, you know, that's not good enough, right? So it really was looking outward at these kinds of role models of brave leadership that inspired me. And not only was I still doing that job in five years? Because for me and the team, it became a mission, not just a job. Mm -hmm. But we smashed that target. So I keep looking around when I feel afraid or like I don't know how to do something to say, who's out there that can inspire me? And there are plenty of people. Mm -hmm. And in terms of um, lessons, is there anything that you've learned on the way that you would you would tell people when it comes to leadership and managing a massive team, which you do, that, that you would say this is something that I, I would tell every leader they should go out and do when either starting uh, to manage a team or just as part of their leadership generally. Is there, is there any advice you would have for them? Yeah, it would. Let me see. It it depends on whether uh, I'm thinking about my answer and how I manage a complex team and what advice I'd give people in general are are slightly different. Shall shall I answer both? Please Um, do, yeah. Are you interested in both? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, 1,200 marketers, uh, not all of which report to me. We have around 350 people report to me. But I take accountability for the work of 1,200 marketers, the talent that we have across 180 countries. And the only way you do that is by being obsessively focused on the talent agenda and having the right leadership at every level and the right team constellation. I'm happy to talk more about that. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, the... You know, the, the, not, but not everybody manages a system that big, right? So then you have to think about what what lessons yeah. would you offer everybody? And um, and it sounds really trite at a headline level, but I've learned a lot about this 
in my 10 years president, president of the Marketing Society and working with Gemma Greaves, mm-hmm. I'd say it's be brave and do things that matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, the mission for the society is all around enabling brave marketing leadership. And by that, we don't mean some sort of loud, egocentric, you know, look at the brave thing I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's really thinking about the difference you want to make and spending your time on things that will make that difference. And to do that, you have to be skilled at having open, honest conversations. You have to understand how to how to be your authentic self, but do that with skill in a way that, that influences things. And you need to overcome the internal limitations that you have. So, you know, people talk, when I listen to people talk about their fears, there's kind of a recurring tape of, oh, I worry that I can't do this at work, or I might get fired for that, or we're not a risk-taking company. And, and I really understand that there may be those barriers in some companies that lead through fear. But when I really explore that with people, either in a conversation or in a professional coaching you know, capacity, what I, what, I, what I understand and ideally what they come to understand is a lot of those fears, a lot of those limitations are in their heads. And when you start to pick that apart, they really can make tremendous progress. Because if you think about it, the people who don't do well in companies are not those who do things that matter. They're people who don't who do you know who don't make enough of a big difference. Mm-hmm. And I think when people land that in their heads, it really encourages them to do the things that they believe in yeah. and to bring their their whole authentic selves to doing that. And I think what you're saying to me sounds as though it's something that you can only learn from experience. So you, someone that likes people, not likes people, but allows people to make mistakes and learn from them as well. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. You know, and I really, sometimes I think I haven't done a good enough job of that myself. Hmm. So let me give you an example um, of that. And I don't know, I guess it's a leadership lesson that that I'd love everybody to, to understand, mm-hmm. um, which is how you set goals for yourself, right, which has never been a strength for me. Um, and I think the reason it hasn't been a strength is I think I was afraid that I wouldn't achieve those goals. Mm. So the lesson is to believe that you can be so much more than you think. So so here's an example. I have never particularly focused on wanting the next job, and, and that has some benefits to it, right? It means that I was always focused on delivering in the job that I was in and for the company rather than for myself or my own agenda. And And when people understand that or they believe that about you, that breeds trust in the relationship and trust goes a long way in, in relationships and in leadership. Um, but I really think I could have set bolder goals and stretched myself further. And I, and I had this big aha, um, just this month when I, I'm on the coaching faculty and I sit on the board of the marketing Academy. Are you familiar with the marketing Academy? Sherilyn Shekels. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and they have a program called the fellowship, which is about training people to be on boards or move from being CMO to CEOs. Mm -hmm. 
And I was facilitating a workshop as part of the workshop where people are writing what we call their stand. You know, it's kind of their their objectives over the next two or three years. It can be personal. It can be professional. And in leading this part of the workshop, I was supposed to give an example of where I had done that. And I realized I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Um, and, and it made me think about, wow, if I really had spent time thinking about those forward-thinking objectives, how much more could I have done for the things that I believe in by now? Mm -hmm. You know, what more could I have achieved if I believed in myself a little bit more? And, and, and that's the lesson I'm going to take, you know, going forward. But, my gosh, we're always learning, right? I mean, that's just this month. Um, <laughs> so thinking about it all the time and that's why i'm so glad to see the drum doing this podcast because these are the issues we all need to think about well um, as long as we can be helpful um no it is absolutely well, well usually the last question i ask is what the one lesson you you know now that you wish you'd known earlier in your career but i wonder if you've just answered that yeah i think I think I have because it's all about making people the biggest leaders they can possibly be and what it takes to enable that. Well, but I'm happy to answer any other questions you have. I will give you another question then uh, off the top of my head. So you've you've okay. listened to uh, the first episode uh, with Chris Hurst. So I'm going to ask you a question yeah. and ask him. His book is about bullshit leadership. So what do you think yeah. is um, what do you think constitutes bullshit leadership? It's a great question. I understand he's he's written a book on this, so I'm going to have to read it. Um, and we are going to charge him money for referencing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, so, what do I think? Um, boy, you know it when you see it. Uh, you know, is 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 one thing. So it may be hard to articulate it. I, I guess I'd say I think bullshit leadership if I had to just talk about one thing, is when you think it's all about you. And given everything I've said, that's probably not a surprising answer. So as leaders, I think the biggest and most important responsibility is to grow our teams and understand it's really about them. Hmm. And again, that might be my own insecurity talking. You know, I get really crazy when I don't feel like I have the best people in the world on my team because I think, I think a combination. What does that stop us from achieving? And because I'm very, very aware of the limits of my leadership mm. and also my time. So, so all, gosh, you know, of course I'm involved in Diageo strategy. Of course I'm thinking about big decisions. Of course I'm involved in the content of what we do. But the the foundation of what I do is really you know, looking at our talent agenda on an individual level, growing and developing people, and then at a systemic and team level. And on an individual level, I try to enter most conversations thinking, how do I leave this person inspired to do amazing things? You know, and I don't always get it right because I'm, I'm very direct, but I try. And, and I think every conversation can be a coaching conversation. And sometimes people think that's really fluffy, and people who know me well know that's not. If you're really trying to stretch someone's leadership, that conversation feels both supportive but also honest and challenging. Brilliant. And then at a systemic and team level, 
you know, you have to think about the whole talent picture and our structures. So, so nobody has all the skills they need to deliver big, audacious goals. So looking at the composition of teams, how you get the right skill set, chemistry, and, and collaboration to achieve something really remarkable matters. Because ultimately, as leaders, our job is to create the conditions for people to grow themselves and their businesses, really, beyond their wildest dreams. I think that's a good place to end it, don't you? Um, (laughs) If you're um, happy, I'm happy. Very. Uh, Sil, thank you very much for sharing your leadership lessons with us. Great question.